Hi, I'm Stefania Van Dyke, Senior Interpretive Specialist at the Denver Art Museum. For the exhibition Claude Monet, The Truth of Nature, we created a conversational audio tour in which the exhibition's co-curators, director Christoph Heinrich and chief curator Angelica Danio, talk about Monet and his work. We also interviewed five non-art experts to offer unique perspectives that could help visitors look at Monet's paintings in a new way. In this series of podcasts, we expand those conversations. Here, I talk with Joan Dijon about Paris in Monet's time. I'm Joan Dijon, trustee professor at the University of Pennsylvania and the author of How Paris Became Paris, The Invention of the Modern City. Joan, when you look at Monet's pictures of Paris, what do you see that encapsulates modern life? First of all, the boulevard they kept you seen is just an extraordinary, it's an iconic image of Paris in the late uh, 19th century. And for me, it just spells modernity in so many ways. And I think that idea, that concept of a boulevard is just absolutely particular to Paris, not only in the 19th century, through the history of the city as a modern city. That's been a concept. What is it about the idea of a boulevard that was so innovative? Beginning in about 1670, the idea of a boulevard became central to what made Paris a new kind of city and a modern city in people's eyes. Louis XIV was king then, and he had a major project, one of the biggest projects in the history of Paris, that was to tear down the walls around the city and open the city up. He said repeatedly, we don't have to be afraid of invasion. I've protected France on our borders, so no one's going to invade Paris again, so we'll tear down the walls. Obviously, this worked then and opened up, and he made a put a boulevard all around the city. So the beginnings of the boulevard, the Capucine, starts in the late 17th and early 18th century under Louis XIV. It was not completed, however, and the boulevard was completed and redesigned beginning in the mid-19th century. When Monet painted that scene, he was painting at the same time Paris's fidelity to its long-term identity as a modern city, a modern urban center, and a recently redesigned Boulevard des Capucines. Also, when he does this in 1873, it's so soon after the siege of Paris and after the city had fallen to the Prussians in January 1871, and that was the first time Paris had been vulnerable since its walls had been torn down in the late 17th century. So here it is. It's the tradition, but the failure of that tradition. Paris had been vulnerable again. Interesting. In the painting, do you see anything that sticks with that tradition or anything that points to something new, more modern? Absolutely. It's a real urban boulevard scene, and it's once again faithful to the tradition, but also new. It's a huge open space. I mean, think of this. This is a major size space. This is not a street. This is a, a huge expanse. It's got trees in the middle, and that idea of the planned greening of the city, which has always been essential to the infrastructure of Paris as a modern city, to keep greening in the city, to keep beauty in the city. It also shows off the city's architecture. And look at some of those classic Osmanian facades that you can see in the painting. And it shows the way Parisians and visitors behave in the city. You've got this big urban crowd walking around alone or in groups. You have public transportation. He's featuring the buses, the omnibuses in the city, the horse-drawn buses, so public transportation. So it's a busy walking city, a pedestrian city, people who are enjoying the city and the beauty of the city. Monet painted the boulevard from a photographer's apartment. It reminds me about when you mentioned in your book about balconies, since Monet seemed to be pretty high up. 
I mean, the perspective of it is so interesting. Not only is he doing it from above, and it's one of the great problems when you're doing city views. How do you do them? If you do them on street level, you can't get in very much. But here he has a perspective, a bit of Paris in the background, a panorama. He gets in all the buildings and their facades, and they're very high buildings. So he had to be above. So to paint from a balcony is the ideal thing, and therefore the pedestrians seem rather small, but he can get in a big scene that way. Monet was also painting from a high viewpoint for Les Tuileries. Boulevard des Capucines is a painting showing Paris growing, burgeoning, the new beginnings in Paris. And this Tuileries scene, Monet couldn't have known it when he painted it in 1867, but it would become one of the last memories of one of the great royal palaces of Paris from Henry IV in the late 16th century on. The Tuileries was a major royal residence in Paris, and I wondered if this might not be the last major depiction of it before it was destroyed during the Paris Commune fire in May 1871. So just after this, it's going to disappear. And here's this scene that stands for me now as an absolute moment of sadness, of regret, because here's this gorgeous palace, and Monet shows people from above enjoying the garden promenades, this kind of beautiful urban recreation. Paris is a green city full of extensive parks and gardens. It's another mark of Paris's modernity, wandering around in groups, having a wonderful time on a sunny day in Paris. And that sunny day is in the last moments during which this royal residence could have functioned that way. So it's a moment, those years when he's doing these scenes, where it's full of the future and the bustle and creativity of the present and the future. And also we have a sense of nostalgia and sadness because so much has been destroyed. And so many people at the period, both painters and writers, are attuned to the ways in which that city would change, photographers as well. The sense of all that had been lost with Usman and the redesign, because Usman just burrows through the city and destroying wide swatches of the city. One of the poems I was thinking about when reading this, it's not that long before, it's a decade before, is Baudelaire, one of his Flowers of Evil from 1857. That's the title of the volume, Flowers of Evil. And it's called Le Signe, the Swan. And it begins with this incredible, just quick first line, Paris change, Paris is changing. And it's full of regret about what the city is losing. And I don't know the extent to which you can attribute regret to canvases by Monet in the period, but there could be a sense of the melancholy that so many people felt. There's an interesting quote by Monet that sort of serves as a counterpoint to Baudelaire's poem. In the quote, he's not expressing feelings of melancholy, but really frustration. So he said... One is too taken up with all that one sees and hears in Paris. Don't you think that face-to-face nature and alone, one can do better? I'm sure of it myself. So not exactly a melancholic tone, more confrontational. Well, it is. It's a sense of wanting a solitude, such a thing that resonates with what people are talking about today, that we can't hear ourselves for all the noise around us in the contemporary city. And I was just reading articles about that today in the New York Times. And I think that some of these paintings absolutely show that because you see in a way that you don't always see on earlier views of Paris that take place on the Pont Neuf or in the gardens, you see lots of solitary individuals. It also reminds me of a passage from the book Mad Enchantment about Monet and his gardens. A journalist noted that Monet's celebrity was one of the things that made Paris odious to him. He was unable to walk 100 yards, quote, without being accosted by 
importuners, bores, pretentious ignoramuses, and snobs. I just think about that conflict between the sole stroller, the person enjoying Paris on their own, and then the bustling crowds and how Monet was struggling with that. Right. One of the things I thought was also interesting about several of these canvases is the way in which he uses umbrellas and sunshades, so the women's kind of parasols, to protect identity. Because so many of these scenes, people are going around under umbrellas. And if you think about it, you can't be recognized when you're walking around with umbrellas like this. And true umbrellas, I don't know that there are many cities in which one needs an umbrella more often than in Paris, and I'm sure it was equally true clearly in his day. So that is modern life, the umbrella, but it's also a protective measure. He could have shown them on sunny days as he does the gardens. Yeah, that kind of goes with what you had talked about in your book about going incognito, I think. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's another form of incognito. Think about when we walk around with umbrellas, people are just not paying attention to you. They don't recognize you. You bend over, and the umbrellas, they are kind of blocking off your upper face, and you just see a sea of umbrellas. And that's what you see, for example, in his Paul Neuf painting. You have a sense of a sea of umbrellas. Yeah, the painting now that you're talking about, it looks wet. Yes, very definitely. So he chose that as a way of it. It's like the river, a wet river, the wet city, the umbrellas. He could have done a very different scene if he had chosen to do it on a different kind of day. Let's talk about the Pont Neuf, the so-called new bridge itself. Once again, I think it's another of his classic scenes of Paris. It's perfectly aligned with views of the Pont Neuf from the 17th century on. The Pont Neuf was always portrayed as a bustling bridge. And you see it here. It's got a lot of expanse, traffic of all kinds, pedestrians, public transportation, sharing the bridge. He gets in those extra-wide sidewalks and the sense of an urban crowd. They're men and women, they're groups, they're people alone, all just getting somewhere, moving across the bridge. Right. It's interesting that the palette of this one is very different, too, from the others. It seems a lot more gray and brown. It is. He chose to do it as a gray, I think the umbrellas, the rain, the anonymity of it. It's a different kind, the bustle of the urban crowd, rather than the sunny enjoyment of especially the Tuileries, but also the Boulevard des Capucines, more so. I'd put that in the middle of the three. You know from the picture that it's possible to admire the river from the bridge, and you see very clearly those little, on the ends of the bridge, those little, like, boxes at the theater, the small spaces sticking out from the bridge where people could stand and admire the river. But Monet chose not to put people in those little boxes. I'm sure a rainy day does not favor admiring the view, but he chose not to take advantage of that. So you don't see people using the perspective from above to look at the architecture and to look at the river, although he's doing that. His perspective is from above. He's looking down on the river. Even though I had read in your book about those little balcony offshoots, I didn't even notice them in the painting until you just said that. Oh, they're in the painting. It's really interesting that that's the big difference between Monet's view of the bridge and earlier views, the typical view of the bridge, is that he does not use the balconies as observation points. He doesn't show them like that. Right, and he doesn't show any people just standing there. No, they're just getting across. They're moving. They're pedestrians, urban pedestrians. And when you think about it, I often go by the Pont Neuf today and think and sort of enjoy watching what happens because it's an urban bridge. 
buses go across it, people go across it on the sidewalks, cyclists, etc. So it's a big crossing point. It's the major crossing point still for certain key areas of Paris. And very few tourists take advantage of those little balconies to admire the perspective. It just doesn't fit with those two conflicting ways of using the bridge. So his bridge is an urban bridge. It's not a tourist bridge. What about park benches? His painting of the Parc Monceau, which is a little later, 1878, but they are featuring an innovation of Paris in the late 17th century, park benches. And people are shown there, and I love it. He's showing, once again, the two ways a park bench could function for a group of people. A group of women, clearly sociability, chatting, their friends out to enjoy a stroll in the garden in a day, and they sit down to have a conversation. Or for the solitary person who wants to be alone with his thoughts in nature and contemplate and think and plan a painting or plan uh, a letter or plan a business project. So you've got the two ways of enjoying them and what a park bench does for a park. That's an interesting painting, too, just thinking about some of the other things you've said because there are a lot of umbrellas in that one, too, the Parc Monceau. Yes. Oh, the 19th century women, it's really amazing, all have them. Obviously, what he's showing off when he uses all those umbrella scenes are folding umbrellas, smaller umbrellas, not the huge things. So progress in the umbrella industry. <laughs> that exists before. It disappears. They've become affordable by this moment because so many people have them, whereas in the 17th century, they're a luxury item. But I bet that when painters see something coming into more common use, they tend to depict it and put it in. He's umbrella-obsessed, as other Impressionists were, too. And the umbrella, the parasol, the women's sunscreen-obsessed, too. I mean, they're appealing. They're cute. <laughs> if you don't mind, Joan, I'll read a passage from your book about the energy of a city like Paris, and let's discuss it as it relates to Monet. You wrote, a correlation has recently been posited between the pace with which its inhabitants negotiate the streets of a city and that city's creative output. This suggests that those quick-paced Parisians and tourists were in step with the city on the go, listening to its streets and their creative pulse, that they were experiencing a sense of heightened expectations that came from living at what was widely seen as the center of the European cultural world. I was interested in how that relates to Monet and his circle of artists that were working in Paris and were so prevalent there at this time in the 1870s, the painters of modern life. Sure. Well, I think you do often have a sense in just in this few canvases we've talked about, with the Pont Neuf scene, with the Boulevard des Capucines, of bustle. Lots of people on move, public transportation. So public transportation is always associated with getting there faster. People love to walk. Paris is a great walking city. All these places are easy to take in on foot, but public transportation allows you to get there faster. So by putting public transportation next to the pedestrians, he's figuring in the sense of pace of the city, that you want to get there faster. You want to have this available to all. You can just jump on the omnibus, and get there faster. And that's so much a part of the city and so much a part of a creative city. And the scenes show that, too. It's interesting thinking about this hustle-bustle and the fast pace. Monet's capturing that energy, but he's also saying that it's too fast. I want to be on my own in nature. He seems to be struggling here a bit. Well, I think so many people were. There's a sense on the one hand that they're exciting new possibilities, that the city is creative, it's renewing itself, it's modern and continuing to be that, but you're losing something. 
you're losing some of the beauties that made Paris Paris in their eyes, and will Paris be the same? Paris is changing. What's the future going to be? Will I like it as much? And people certainly felt both ways about what Usman was doing, some sense of excitement, but a sense of loss, a loss of neighborhoods, a loss of a sense of life in certain streets of Paris. And photographers were trying to preserve what is about to be destroyed. And that's all over the sense of preservation and of commemoration of the new. That's a very unusual moment, I think, in the history of a city. When the 17th century redesign of Paris took place, there was open space. There was very little destruction. They were taking down a wall and putting in a boulevard. I mean, there's no loss. So people can celebrate it and be happy at this new urban promenade space, the new space for admiring architecture, for admiring nature, for admiring the greening of the city, and they've lost nothing. Whereas in the 19th century, they have lost. And so I think there's a sense of excitement, bustle, and sadness, nostalgia, perhaps alienation at times. So it's a very complex moment for a relationship to a city like Paris. And I just kept thinking, my God, look at those dates and look at what's happening. The siege of Paris over in January 1871, then Paris falls, then there's the Paris Commune, the suppression of the Commune, the fire. So the city he's painting is either just before a huge period of violence and bloodshed in the city of Paris or just after it. So that kind of urban violence leaves marks, and I think the sort of nostalgia or solitary views we see in these paintings can be partly seen as a reaction to all of this. How can you imagine living through those years, about four years like that, that's transformative and horrible? Could you give a little context for Osman? Sure. Osman was an interesting choice, often criticized, praised, whatever. He was not an architect. He was a bureaucrat, uh, so a different kind of city planner, not your standard kind, the kind of person you would hope would be doing something like this. And his redesign took place over a long period of time, 1853 to 1870. So it's a huge, long moment in the history of the city of Paris. That's why Baudelaire fits in 1857, the beginning or early on, and Monet fits in right at the end of this. This moment went, and it's the whole city. I mean, he was tearing up swaths of the city across the city in every way. And you couldn't live in any part of Paris and be far from major destruction, reconstruction, complete transformation of the city around you. You would have seen it all the time. So the middle of the 19th century in Paris is that kind of moment. I can't imagine what it would have been like to see this going on. So loss and anxiety seem to me they all would have to feel that, even if you liked the result. There was loss everywhere. (laughs) And you had a sense that these places often had been their neighborhoods from the Middle Ages, from the 16th century, great architecture from the 17th century, and it's just gone because his boulevard or avenue is going to just tear right through that, so you just destroy it. The tip of the Ile Saint-Louis in the middle of the city, destroyed. Just cut it off because you want to run a boulevard there. Every time I walk down that boulevard, I think about what was there before. And imagine if you were walking on that boulevard when it had just been completed, when you had known what was there before. Joan, thank you so much for your fascinating perspective on Monet. Thank you for listening to Beyond Monet. 
Claude Monet, The Truth of Nature is on view at the Denver Art Museum through February 2nd, 2020. For more information about this exhibition, visit www.denverartmuseum.org. Music was generously provided by the Denver Philharmonic Orchestra. This podcast was produced by Postmodern Company in Denver, Colorado. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Please check out the other episodes in this series.